Psalm 127. Whoever gets there first and would like to read it out, it's a short psalm of Solomon. <clears throat> Unless the Lord builds a house, the builder's work is useless. Unless the Lord protects a city, sentries do no good. It is senseless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, fearing you will starve to death. For God wants his loved ones to get their proper rest. Children are a gift from God. They are his reward. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows to defend him. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. That man shall have the help he needs when arguing with his enemies. Amen. So Solomon writes this, and we, we, uh, we reflect on Solomon, the third king of uh, the, um, well, the second king of the unified kingdom. Uh, so he was the son of David, and he has some interesting perspectives. He was uh, considered to be extremely wise, and we'll talk about that wisdom as we move through the, the Solomon narrative. But I thought it was very uh, appropriate, especially in light of, we're going to read about the intrigue that happens in, in the uh, succession of kings from David to Solomon this morning. We started reading it last week, and uh, we read about David's uh, fourth son, uh, who makes a, a play <coughs> for the throne, and Solomon, whom God has selected, um, and the intrigue that happens around secession between the, uh, the kingship from David to his son. And in all of that, we see uh, the wisdom of Solomon recognizing the hand of God. Maybe not directly at that time. Maybe this was something that came to him later in his life. But he says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So what house do you think Solomon is talking about when he says that? Temple. Could be talking about the temple. It's think your own home. Could be talking about his own home. Also, the dynasty of David. Uh, yes. Uh, his uncle, Lord, is he can't keep his dynasty going. That's right. That's that's what I think uh, is probably in view here. It's looking at um, the dynasty of David because we understand that one of the promises of God comes through the line of David. In fact, the promise of God comes through the, the promise that we hold on to today, uh, Messiah, Jesus the Christ, is through the line of David, right? And so when it talks about the house of David, it's talking about that dynasty, that lineage. And we read it, I think, with that broader context, understanding, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And Solomon may have had that perspective, and we hope that he had that perspective, that he was looking at how God was working in history to bring about his redemptive program. Right? But it could be that Solomon was worrying about his own house, right? because we look at Psalm 72, which is a song of Solomon uh, also, we see that... Uh, there's a very king-centric focus, and there's gold involved, and all sorts of other things. 
um, and wealth for the king and prosperity for the king. Um, but here we see that uh, as, as Solomon moves through this psalm, um, and he makes this statement about the futility of doing anything outside of God's plan, right? If it's not God's plan, it's not going anywhere. Because ultimately, the only, the only plan that ever has any eternal consequence is God's plan. Um, but then he gets down to children are the gift of the Lord. You know, if you're worried about your labor, if you're worried about your retirement, um, back in that day, your retirement was not your IRA. Your retirement um, was your kids, right? So that would be kind of more of a mirror focus. He's looking at his house and his kingdom, and you see that um, children are a gift of the Lord. Sure enough, God provides. He provides through your children. And it says it's, they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And blessed is a man who has a quiver full of them so that they can argue with him in disputes at the gate where, where uh, issues of property and uh, settlement within community occur. So living in community, um, all of the legal transactions would occur at the gate of the city. And so if you got your horde of kids behind you, and they're all big, stocky, well-fed youth, uh, or strength of, of youth, you have persuasive power, right? So you can see that even though Solomon may have had this view of the Davidic dynasty, dynasty, where he was seeing, okay, God is working his redemptive program through David, and I happen to be in that succession, and that's an incredible blessing to participate in God's plan. He may have also had a very uh, narrow view of his own well-being. And that's what we're going to see is this tension between um, how a king whose responsibility is service. What is a king to do? A king is to be a servant to his fellow men. He's not to place himself above, but he's rather to serve. You can see that despair of Solomon also in Ecclesiastes when he looks at all that he's done. Yeah. He's so wise that he understands why it's that way. Yeah. He said, I've got to leave it to my son. Who knows it? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he's going to squander it. And, and, well, and he kind of did. <laughs> yeah, he kind of did. Well, and, and Karen and I have those conversations. Like, well, how should we set up our kids for success? Maybe, you know, wealth and things like that aren't the, the best setting up for success for our kids, but rather being grounded in the, the, the bedrock of reality, being grounded in God and having your salvation in Him. And, and we can see that in here, right? So there is that, that view, and, and maybe we read it in because we understand that God's doing this larger thing. And I think that when we look at the, the former prophets, we do understand it as prophetic, so even though we're going to read these narratives and you're going to shake your head, and then you're going to read the morning paper and you're going to shake your head, right? You're going to see that really there is a larger purpose and plan going on. And before we start our dive into uh, First Kings this morning, and we're going to reread where we read last week, I'd like to uh, challenge you a little bit. Um, one of the things that happens in our household is, and uh, 
it drives me nuts sometimes, and then I get intrigued by it other times, um, is that Karen likes white noise. So she will turn on the television for white noise. And for her, it's, it's just background stuff going on, and it, she's not focused on that, as far as I know. And, uh, <laughs> and for me, it sucks me in, right? So they're talking about Trump this morning, and how some Republicans are behind him, and others are like, well, I don't know, let's wait and see. And, and all this it, political intrigue going on. And, you know, that's, the, that's really the, the topic of the day. But when you read Romans chapter 13, we're talking uh, about being <laughs> yes. subject here. We are in Kings, right? We are in Kings. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to read this as a preface to what we're going to read in Kings. Mm-hmm. And this is the challenge to you because, you know, I, Karen, we got our ballots this last week <laughs> for the primary, and it's like, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know, even know who to write in. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we can get really discouraged in that. We can get really uh, unfocused in that. Um, and yet, when we understand what subservience is, that we are to be subservient, but the king was supposed to be a servant of the people. We are to love one another. We are to, in love, a service, right? We are to be servants of one another. We read that in Philippians. We are to consider others more highly than ourselves. Right? That's all about that servant heart. Well, the king has that responsibility in spades. And so when we read in Romans chapter 13, and when Paul writes this, you've got to remember, he was under the oppression of a bad king. He writes this and he says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause for fear, for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For as a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, Honor to whom honor. Right? So when I read that, it's like, oh, man. And I got my primary ballot, you know. And I'm, I'm thinking, how is God's hand in this? How is God's hand in what's going on today? We're going to read a story this morning about the secession of kings. And you're going to ask that same question. How is God's hand in this? How can... Solomon say, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Let's take a look at 1 Kings. And I'd like to read two chapters this morning. Rather than me standing here and reading to you, I'm going to let you guys read this morning. So it's a total of 
a little over 100 verses, or right at 100 verses. Um, and we can divide it up to four readers, two readers for a first chapter, two readers for a second chapter. Does anybody want to volunteer? Or someone could read the whole thing? I see Linda, I see Alan, Paula, and Alvin. Let's, let's go ahead and I'll let you guys fight it out, whoever starts first, and then the rest of you just figure out where to jump in. First Kings, chapter 1. When King David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm, even when they put covers over him. So his servants said to him, Let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our king the Lord may keep warm. And they searched throughout Israel for a beautiful girl and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The girl was very beautiful. She took care of the king and waited on him, but the king had no intimate relations with her. Now Adonijah, whose mother was Haggis, put himself forward and said, I will be king. So he got chariots and horses ready with 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had never interfered with him by asking, why do you behave as you do? He was also very handsome and was born next after Absalom. Adonijah conferred with Joab, son of Zeruiah, and with Leviathar, the priest, and they gave him their support. But Zadok, the priest, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, and Rei, and David's special guard, did not join Adonijah. Adonijah then sacrificed sheep, cattle, and fattened calves at the stone of Zohaleth near Enoch. He invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah who were loyal officials. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the special guard, or his brother Solomon. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king without our Lord David's knowing it? Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and the life of your own of your son Solomon. Go into King David and say to him, My lord the king, did you not swear to me and your servant? Surely Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? While you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and confirm what you have said. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shunammite was attending him. Bathsheba bowed low and knelt before the king. What is it you want? the king asked. She said to him, My lord, you yourself swore to me, your ser- to me your servant, by the Lord your God, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, and sheep, and has invited all the king's sons, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army. But he has not invited Solomon, your servant. My lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, as soon as my lord the king is laid to rest with his fathers, 
I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. <coughs> While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet arrived, and they told the king, Nathan the prophet is here. So he went before the king and bowed his face to the ground. Nathan said, Have you, my lord the king, declared that Adonijah shall be king after you, and that he will sit on your throne? Today he has gone down and sacrificed great numbers of cattle, fattened calves, and sheep. He has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. Right now you are, they are eating and drinking with him and saying, Long live King Adonijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he did not invite. Is this something my lord the king has done without letting his servants know who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Take it away. Then King David said, Call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble, I will surely carry out today what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne in my place. Then Bathsheba bowed low with her face to the ground and said, kneeling before the king, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call in Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah son of Jehoiada. When they came before the king, he said to them, Take your lord's servants with you, and set Solomon my son on my own rule, and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, Long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah son of Jehoiada answered the kings, Amen. And my Lord, or may the Lord, the God of my Lord the king, so declare it. As the Lord was with my Lord, the king, so may he be with Solomon, to make his throne even greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah son of Jehoiada, the Kerethites and the Pelethites, went down and put Solomon on King David's mule, and escorted him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the sacred tent and anointed Solomon. Then he sounded, or then they sounded the trumpet, and all the people shouted, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing greatly, so that the ground shook with the sound. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finishing their feast. And hearing the sound of the trumpet, Joab asked, What is the meaning of all the noise in the city? Even as he was speaking, Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, arrived. Adonijah said, Come in. A worthy man like you must be bringing good news. <laughs> Not at all, Jonathan answered. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the Carathites, and the Pelethites, and they have put him on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet 
have anointed him king at Gihon. From there they have gone up cheering, and the city resounds with it. That's the noise you hear. Moreover, Solomon has taken his seat on the royal throne. Also the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours, and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed and worshipped on his bed, and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. At this, all Adonijah's guests rose in alarm and dispersed. But Adonijah, in fear of Solomon, went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then Solomon was told, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, and is clinging to the horns of the altar. He says, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with a sword. Solomon replied, if he shows himself to be a worthy man, not a hair of his head will fall to the ground. But if evil is found in him, he will die. And King Solomon sent men, and they brought him down from the altar. And Adonijah came and bowed down to King Solomon. And Solomon said, go to your home. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where every man on earth must someday go. I am counting on you to be a strong and worthy successor. Obey the laws of God and follow all his ways. Keep each of his commands written in the law of Moses so that you will prosper in everything you do wherever you turn. If you do this, then the Lord will fulfill the promise he gave me that if my children and their descendants watch their step and are faithful to God, one of them shall always be the king of Israel. My dynasty will never end. Now listen to my instructions. You know that Joab murdered two, my two generals, Abner and Amasa. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace. You are a wise man and will know what to do. Don't let him die in peace. But be, be kind to the sons of um, Barzillai, the Gileadite, and make them permanent guests of the king. For they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And do remember Shammai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite from uh, Baharim. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was going to Mahanim. <laughs> But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan River, I promised I wouldn't kill him. But that promise doesn't bind you. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. So David rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. The period that David reigned over Israel was 40 years Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and in Jerusalem he reigned uh, 33 years. Then Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now in Adonijah, the son of Higgith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, and she asked, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Say it. Then he said, You know that the kingdom was mine, and all Israel, 
and set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Now I ask one petition of you, do not deny me. And she said to him, Say And he said, Please speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. <clears throat> so Bathsheba said, Very well, I will speak to you, I will speak for you to the king. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king rose up to meet her and bowed down to her and sat down on his throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. And she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah your brother, his wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, Now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother, for him and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zeruiah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has made me a house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down, and he died. And to Abiathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are worthy of death, but I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. Then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah, though he had not defected to Absalom. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus, says, uh, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said to him, do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his head, because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with the sword, Abner the son of Ner, and uh, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. Their blood 
shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his descendants forever. But upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and struck with, struck and killed him, and he was buried in his own house uh, in the wilderness. The king put Benaiah the son of Jehoiada in his place over the army, and the king put Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. Then the king sent and called for Shemai, and said to him, Build yourself a house in Jerusalem, and dwell there, and do not go out from there anywhere. For it shall be in the, on the day you go out and cross the brook Kidron, know for certain you shall surely die, your blood shall be on your own head. And Shemai said to the king, The saying is good, as my lord the king has said, so shall your servant do. So Shemai dwelt in Jerusalem many days. Now it happened at the end of three years that two slaves of Shemai ran away to Achish, the son of Maacab, king of Gath. And they told Shemai, saying, Look, your slaves are in Gath. So Shemai arose, saddled his donkey, and went to Achish at Gath to seek his slaves. And Shemai went and brought his slaves from Gath. And Solomon was told that Shemai had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and had come back. Then the king sent and called for Shemai and said to him, Did I not tell? Uh, did I not make you swear by the Lord and warn you, saying, No, for certain that on the day you go out and travel anywhere, you shall surely die? And you said to me, The word I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I gave you? The king said, Moreover, to Shemai, You know, as your heart acknowledges all the wickedness that you did to my father David, therefore the Lord will return your wickedness on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the Lord, so the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he sent went out and struck him down, and he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hand of Saul. So here is our wise king <laughs> that uh, David's getting old. First of all, thank you guys for reading around. That's a lot, that's a lot to read. But it's, it really needs to be taken in whole. Right? So David's getting old. And he's so old that he can't even keep warm. And um, we know that that's true. That's what happens when you get old. Gravity rules. It starts pulling the color from your hair. In fact, sometimes it pulls your hair completely off your head. Um, you tend to go this way. And you get shorter. Um, all of those aches and pains from the compression of gravity on your body and ultimately your, your systems start failing, right? start shutting down. And one of those experiences, your circulation starts becoming restricted and you get cold in your extremities. And it's very difficult to stay warm. Karen experienced this with uh, her grandmother where she would run her heater as hot as it would go and have a pellet stove going um, full blast. 
and it would be 90 plus degrees and she was still cold in the house. And Karen next door had it, she was like, oh, can't stand it. Uh, you know, put the air conditioning on in the middle of winter, that kind of thing. So we understand that's, that's a very common thing as you get old and it can be interpreted as, uh, as weakness, certainly as physical frailty and weakness, but it was also interpreted in some ways as David's um, weakness in spirit and soul, right? And so the people that are supporters of David say, hey, we know how to solve this. Uh, kings have a big harem. Let's go get a beautiful woman and she can lie with the king and keep him warm. And who knows, maybe even something will happen and he'll express his virility and his strength in that. Well, we read that, no, that doesn't happen. David, indeed, is in the, the final decline of his life. Um, and this woman remains pure, but she's a servant of the king. Right? That's what we read in the opening of First Kings, that David, is, his health is failing. And then we read that his fourth son... So, who can tell me about the first three sons of David? Who was the first son? So, Amnon was the first, right? So, uh, you actually read about the, the sons of David in uh, 2 Samuel um, chapter 3. You find out about uh, David's uh, reign in Hebron. And you read about uh, six of his children, Amnon the first, uh, Chiliab the second, who was uh, by Abigail, who was the widow of Nabal. Remember that story? And that uh, this uh, godly woman confronted the king and said, you know, it's not right when David had murder in his heart, he was going to kill Nabal because he was a fool, his name means fool. And he was doing foolish things. He said, you know, we're just going to take this guy out. He's done it wrong. And uh, Abigail pleads for her husband, Nabal, says, uh, it's not right for the king to behave in this way. Even this was before he was uh, king sitting on the throne, right? Saul was still after him and all of that. David's on the run. That's the wife that David took because Nabal ended up dying of a different cause, not David's hand. And David took Abigail and so we would understand the culture of the day that is uh, something like a leveret marriage. Uh, something like, not quite. But there was this widow, and she had no way of being provided for. David saw that she was an honorable woman and uh, made her his wife. That's Chilion the second. So the descendant through Abigail would have a different um, a different Responsibility. He would be responsible for the, the the house of Nabal. He would be the the inheritance for that line, not for the line of David, because it was it had this leveret marriage like relationship where where um, and I'll give you the classic example where in Ruth you've got Boaz and um, first name. What's his name? Ruth, uh, Boaz? Uh, the, the guy that owns the property in Bethlehem. Okay. You know, making... Oh, the, the, the husband that yeah, yeah, yeah. died. And... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like Naomi's Ellie, husband. Tell me something. Elimelech. 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 There we go. Elimelech. 
uh, which God is king, right? So it's like, I should know this stuff. Um, and so uh, he dies, and his sons uh, die, and Naomi is left with no way of redeeming that property, right? So she needs a kinsman redeemer that will honor this levirate marriage and, and take Ruth, the uh, wife of one of her sons, as... Um, the, the wife of the kinsman redeemer, and that her inheritance then would come through that line, but it would not be it would be Elimelech's line. It would not be Boaz's line. So, in that sense, um, even though Elimelech was uh, from Bethlehem, it wasn't Boaz who would have been the the uh, the patriarch in that family tree. Right? It would have been Elimelech. God is king. That's what Elimelech means. And so we understand that the descendant of Boaz was... Anybody remember? David down the line. Yeah, ultimately. Ultimately. David, yeah. Right? So this Chiliab, he could not have... He would have been in a different line, like the, the levirate marriage from which David originally descended from. And so he couldn't be an heir to the throne. So that would have then made the third in line, if Amnon died, Absalom would have been then the next in line to the throne. Well, what do we know about Amnon and Absalom? Absalom killed Amnon. Yeah. And uh, Absalom was not a, not, he was, he was beautiful and tall and had great hair, right? <laughs> and all the women loved him, but he was not a good guy. And uh, so he took out the heir to the throne, and that would have made him heir. In fact, he, at one point in, uh, in his life, asserted himself as king. He, uh, he had a coup, and he overthrew David, and David had to go on the run, right? And Absalom took David's wives and slept with him. That was his way of asserting his kingship was by taking a wife of the king and making uh, that wife his wife. And David, in the meantime, was running to uh, uh, Mahanaim, right? So that's when he ran into this other guy, Shimei, right? And that's what that story is all about, right? Well, Absalom, we read about his untimely death where he's racing along and he gets his hair caught in a tree and it hangs him, right? His beauty was the cause of his downfall. And so David comes back and finishes out his, his reign in Jerusalem after Absalom dies. So the first three are out of the way. Amnon was killed. Absalom, uh, who killed Amnon, died. Chiliab um, is disqualified because he's in a different line. So that leaves Adonijah, who was number four. So if you look at it from purely a succession of the kings, he had the right to the throne because he was the, the oldest remaining uh, child, uh, male child of David, right? Solomon is much further on down the list. He's like number seven and number eight. Um, as you read about the children that come 
uh, as David moves to uh, Jerusalem. So he had six kids while he was there in Hebron, and then the remaining children he had um, by wives while he was in Jerusalem. And so Solomon really should not have even been there, according to the way that politics works and the way that secession of kings works. But there was a promise made that Solomon would be king, right? And that's what we read about in this story. That's the intrigue. So it starts out, David is showing signs that he's going to die. He can't even keep warm. They expand his harem by one so that someone with great vigor might invigorate the king, but he still can't keep warm. He's in his final, final days. Then Adonijah asserts himself. He says, I will be king. And how does he do that? How does he assert himself to be king? Yep, he, he Yep, so he starts getting people of influence and power on his side. He starts uh, strutting as if he has a big army, right? He gets chariots, which chariots were unusual, certainly in the city of David, if you know anything about that rocky terrain. That's not a place to run your chariots. Um, so he's making uh, an assertion. Then he grabs with him, as part of his uh, people of influence, he grabs, he says, he conferred with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest. So who is Joab and who is Abiathar? Do you remember? Commander of the army. Joab was the commander of the army with David's mighty men. He was one of David's mighty men. He's also David's cousin. He's also David's cousin, which is why David overlooked a lot of Joab's uh, bad feelings, right? Because we read about, oh, Joab actually killed a couple of guys he shouldn't have killed. And David was really ticked off about that. But he didn't take him out at the time because he was his cousin, right? He didn't deal with it. David had a history of not dealing with problems. He didn't deal with uh, Absalom when Absalom first had his you know, errant behavior. He didn't deal with uh, a lot of things that ended up coming back on him. So all this stuff is coming back on him that he didn't deal with. Joab is one of them. He didn't deal with Joab. So uh, Adonijah goes and grabs Joab and he also grabs Abiathar. Who's Abiathar? He's a priest. So he's, he's grabbing a general and he's grabbing a priest And they helped him, right? The priest, it turns out, was one that uh, when David was on the run, and you read about this, let me see if I can find the cross-reference here. Um, you'll read about it in 1 Samuel 22-20 and 23. So if you just turn back a few pages. Um, this is when David was on the run, and... Uh, he goes to get uh, fed uh, by, he goes into the house of God and he goes to get the um, bread, the show bread, right? And uh, so uh, it, it's a Himalek that he goes to. And what happens is um, there's. Uh, 
all of the, the priests in that family line were ratted out by a guy named Doeg. And uh, so actually David wrote a psalm about this story because it was a tragedy. This guy helps him out. He gets ratted out by one of Saul's men. And Saul has the whole family of priests killed, but only one escapes. Guess who that was? Bithar. And he then runs to David, and he tells David the story. This is what happened. Dog ratted you out um, when you were getting helped. And as a result of that, Saul persecuted this family, and I'm the only one that's left. So David took him in, and he was the first priest in David's troop. Right? So David's on the run. He's collecting his mighty men as he goes. These are the outcasts. And um, this happens to be one that is very near and dear to David's heart. Even though he gets superseded by another priest after he returns to Jerusalem. So Abiathar was a man of influence. So um, Adonijah gets a general. He gets an incredibly influential priest. And he says... I'm going to be king, let's go, and, um, and, and we'll do this ceremony of anointing at Enrogel. So he needed to have someone that could anoint him, so that would be the priest. And typically you'd have a prophet there as well. And so, does anybody know where uh, Enrogel is? So we were actually near there recently. So those of you that went to Israel, Enrogel is near... Um, we, we went through Hezekiah's tunnel when we were there. So we went to the Gihon Spring, and those of you that recall the Gihon Spring, they built a tower to protect the spring, even back in the Canaanite era, when the Jebusites were there. And that was part of the way that David actually took the city of, that later was named after him, the Jebusite city became the city of David, when he went through the waterworks um, and conquered, came through behind the wall and conquered the city through entry at this place, uh, Gihon, where the Gihon Spring is. Just about a quarter mile, as you follow the valley down, there's a confluence of where the Hinnom and um, the Kidron Valley come together. And what happens is there was actually water on occasion going through the Kidron Valley and the Hinnom Valley. And so there was naturally pooling there and they would get, you would get groundwater, just like you got groundwater at Gihon, you'd get groundwater at this other place, which was called the Serpent Stone. And um, it was about a quarter mile, similar to where the Spring of Siloam is uh, today, or in later eras. So it was at the very tip of the city of David. So they weren't very far away from where Solomon was going to be anointed. So they were within an earshot, a quarter mile is not very far. And that's where they go down, they make a sacrifice there, and they start having a big party, right? And they declare Adonijah king. Well, what happens when those that are excluded from this party find out? So David's influential uh, prophet, Nathan, David's influential priest, Zadok, and um, Bathsheba, uh, who knows about this, and Bathsheba knows that her life is at risk because Adonijah knows that this promise was made, that Solomon would be king. And so the intrigue is, it's like, I'm going to declare myself king, and then I'm going to kill everybody that can take that from me. Solomon and Bathsheba would have been those that would have been killed. So 
Nathan, the prophet, goes to Bathsheba and says, hey, have you heard what Adonijah's up to? Um, this is bad news for you. And she then says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take um, and put uh, Solomon on the king's donkey. We're going to parade him down to the Gihon Spring. We'll anoint him there while Adonijah's got his party going on. And we'll gather around all of the people that aren't behind Adonijah. So we've got now the split. We've got the Democrats and the Republicans. And you're going to have one crown when the other one thinks that they're king. And they're going to come back and everybody in the city is going to rejoice. right? And David is then going to affirm that sure enough, that's the king. That's the story that's unwinding here. Um, we're out of time, which is unfortunate because what then happens is when Adonijah hears this, they hear all this stuff going on. They're not very far away. And they hear this uproar when everybody says, Woohoo, Solomon's king, right? And they hear all the pageantry going on and the party that follows that. And, and he says, What's this? You know? It's not happening at our party. Did we miss something? And just then, the son of Abiathar comes running in and says, guess what? They crowned Solomon while you guys are down here partying. <laughs> and, uh, and, of course, Adonijah knows that Solomon, even though he's not uh, in, in line from the ascendancy, he is in line by promise. And we know that the son promises more important than the son that came from uh, the means of man. And that that puts him at risk. So now he's going to go and plead for his life. Rather than threatening, he's now having to defend. And in addition to that, Joab knows the same thing's happening. Shimei knows the same thing's happening. Well, isn't Joab also the one that killed Absalom? Because he got caught in the tree, but they Joab and his men Joab, finished off the job. Yeah. <laughs> Joab, he had a lot of problems. He yeah. killed he killed the general of the north. Mm-hmm. He killed the general of the south. Mm-hmm. So Joab was making a play for himself. He was building his kingdom while as an intrigue underneath David. And David kind of had a blind eye to it. Even though he knew it was going on and it really bothered David, he didn't act on it. And so that's why this is coming up now. And Joab has to tie himself to the, the horns mm-hmm. of the altar, uh, pleading for, for mercy, and that doesn't happen. That's really uh, significant to grabbing on the horns of the altar, except for mercy? Or? Right. That's a request for mercy. So you're going to the mercy seat, or you're going as close as you can get to the mercy seat, and you're requesting mercy. But there's, there's, uh, there's requesting mercy like Adonijah did. He said, wow, you know, I, I know that I'm worthy of death because of what I just did, um, but will you spare me? And Solomon says, "Okay, as long as you, as long as you do good, you're spared." But as soon as uh, Adonijah tried to grab one of the wives, which is what Absalom did, right? And what was Solomon's reaction? It's like, "Don't you know what you just did?" You know, by promising, and I can't refuse this, I have no choice now but to end this guy's life. Because that's a move on the throne. And you did it in such a way by going through his mother, whom he said, I can't refuse you. 
what is his what recourse does he have if he can't refuse giving the wife to Adonijah? Um, and Adonijah is not the rightful heir; he's making a, a, a plot for the throne by doing that. His only option is to execute. Say, okay, you're out of the way. I get my wife back, right? Um, and the same thing with Joab. Joab throws himself at the altar, and but David made him promise. You know, I want you to correct what I did wrong, which was leaving Joab around. Uh, take care of Joab, and also remember that Benjamite. Um, that Benjamite is going to make a play for the throne. He's up the line of Saul, and the reason that he taunted me and made my life difficult like he did was because he's from another line and he wants to also make a play on the throne. Right? So here you have essentially Solomon taking out all of the lines that could make a claim for the throne. And the priest that um, allowed this to happen, that didn't declare what was right and, and just in God's plan, he said you lost all of your priestly um, right. You, you deserve death. But you're going to be shamed by losing um, that which God has appointed you to do. Go off to Anathoth and remain there and you're no longer to serve. And if you read the account uh, of that line, these were the priests of, the, of uh, Eli's sons. And so uh, they... Eventually, they were, they were, it was prophesied that that's exactly what would happen, and we can go back and look at that next week, and we will, because that's important. But, but you can see what's happening, all the intrigue here, right? Now, is this a guy who recognizes that this is God's hand, killing three people? Is he, is he doing God's business? That's a question we would ask, because we have kings today that would say, no, 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 my job is to go out and kill, Right? because I'm doing this in God's name. We have kings in the world that do that today. Um, and there would be some that would assert themselves like that in our country. Um, interestingly. But we're out of time. But Paula, yeah, I just want to ask real quick. Do you think there was any chance that Bathsheba was smart enough to know that if she asked Solomon <laughs> that he'd end up getting killed? Well, um, she, she certainly got good counsel. And it's probably very likely that when when all of this happened, you know, Nathan, the prophet, knew what was going on, and so he had the king beer. So it's very likely that, that yeah. And, she didn't like him, so but, but, they, but Solomon had to have a just cause, right, to, to kill him. And uh, so can you have a just assassination? And so we have to ask ourselves, if we are to be submission to the king that God has appointed, what does that mean? Right? It's pretty is, hard. <laughs> it is hard. Um, and there, and yeah, we're going to unpack that more and more and more. We're going to get back to later. Yeah, and, and Karen's telling me I'm way past over. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and close in prayer. And I realize we took a big chunk. We'll unpack it a little bit more next week, and then we'll move on to why people consider Solomon wise. Um, Lord, we just thank you for opportunity to come into your presence this morning. We thank you for. Um, 
your word that's recorded for us and that it can give us hope in troubled times, Lord, and that we, in many ways, we're in very troubled times. And, and uh, But Lord, we don't want to celebrate the trouble. We want to celebrate who you are and your plan of redemption and that you are at work in the world, even though it doesn't look like a redemptive plan is playing out, other than we can see a final judgment coming, but we don't see the day-to-day activities that result in people going from death into life. And Lord, that's what we want to see. We want to see your plan of redemption working itself out. And you do that through uh, people. And Lord, uh, as we study the kings, we want to understand that which uh, you're calling us to do as your people, that you are the true king. And Lord, we are called to stand in this world as your ambassadors, but we also um, have responsibility in our community as well. So Lord, help us have wisdom about that as uh, we read through your word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, your provision, um, as we read in the psalm today, that you provide everything. We don't need to toil, although we work, we don't need to toil that you provide. And Lord, uh, we thank you for your provision, your protection of us in a dangerous world, and Lord, your incredible service to us, teaching us to be servants to one another. Lord, we thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen.